0: Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Hi there, I want to tell you about my webinars that are going to be coming up every month. I want you to check out my website and see what this month's webinar topic is and sign up. The format is going to be the same every month even though the topics are going to change. It's going to be a huge variety of career-related topics. I'm going to give you a deep dive into content about that topic for about 30 minutes and then you're going to have a chance for 30 minutes of Q&A in the chat box. While I'm, I'm teaching you, you can ask me a question. And then if you're really brave, and I hope you will be, you can be volunteered to coach live on that month's topic. So you can raise your hand and I'll coach you. I want to give you that URL so that you can go to my website, see what the next topic is, and sign up. So go to http colon backslash backslash. Nope. So... Go to my website at exclusivecareercoaching.com forward slash webinar, sign up, see what this month's topic is, see when and, and, and what time it is, sign up, and uh, and get in there and participate with me. I look forward to having you there. Thanks. Greetings, career managers. This is Lisa Edwards of the Exclusive Career Coach. How are you doing? I hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving, that you ate all of the turkey and dressing that you wanted to, and that you're back hard at work. So here's the deal. I have a great sense of humor, which doesn't always get the opportunity to come out in my podcast or in my blog. But what I started doing some time ago with my blog is whenever there was a fifth week in the month, I would make that about fun. Usually something kind of career related, but just a lot of fun. And so this is my first fifth week with the podcast. And I thought, let's just do the same thing. So I want to give you some stories from my life. I've got a couple that are job related that are pretty hilarious. And then I've got a couple from my own personal life that are are hilarious as well. So uh, hopefully you will enjoy them. And I've entitled this first story, How Not to Show Up for the Interview. So before I moved back down south where I was born and raised, I lived in northeast Missouri in a little town called Kirksville, Missouri, and I worked at a university called Truman State University. I was the director of the Career Center. And um, at one point, we needed to hire a new secretary. And so we had an interview coming in, I think it was at maybe noon, one day. And so I was kind of loitering around the front door to, you know, kind of see who was coming in, um, who the next candidate, what she, you know, how she showed up and that kind of thing. (laughs) And I remember thinking when she walked through the door, thinking, please, God, don't let that be my candidate, because it was about this time of year, um, and she had chosen for her job interview outfit to wear a Christmas sweater that was about two sizes too small, And she had on some really stretchy tight uh, pants that were really short with like her socks pulled up over the bottom of the of the pants. Now, if you dress like that on your own time, great, but clearly not interview attire. So when I found out that she was my my candidate, um, we put her into the room, the interview room, and I noticed that none of my staff was to be found. They were all hiding in the back of our, we had a kind of a big suite of offices and they were all hiding and they refused to go in and interview her. I was like, you have to actually go in there. You don't get to stay out here. And so, um, I finally get them all in there and we interview this woman. And when I ask her what questions she has for us, her only question is, she says, and I'm going to kind of use her voice as best I can. What do you girls do for lunch around here? So, uh, A, not appropriate interview attire. Uh, B, not a great interview question. And uh, <laughs> it was just a really interesting experience to, um, to see how sometimes people show up for interviews. So that was definitely a don't story, but it was pretty hilarious. Number story. Number two, what not to ever do during an interview. And I am telling on myself on this one. So before I went into higher education, this is way back in the eighties. I worked for a company that no longer exists called Eckerd drug company. If you live in the Southeast, you knew Eckerd's Eckerd's was kind of omnipresent. It was a drug company, kind of like CVS and Walmart uh, or um, Walgreens was on every corner. And, um, I was interviewing for an area training coordinator position. So I was going to do the training in the stores of all the people that worked in the stores. And the interview was at their like regional office, which was just South of Atlanta in a town called Noonan. And so I'm sitting there in the, uh, he was the regional director of human resources. I'm in his office. We're having this interview. Everything's going great. And, As I said, this was back in the 80s, and for some reason I felt the need to wear Lee Press-On nails. You guys remember those things? Wore Lee Press-On nails to the interview. And during the interview in this man's office, one of my Lee Press-On nails flew off across the room. Well, that was bad enough, except that I went and looked for it. (laughs) I started looking for it. He's like, "What? what are you doing? And I and I said oh nothing because clearly in the middle of an interview one gets up gets down on one's hands and knees and crawls around on the interviewer's floor for no reason absolutely that happens all the time right uh, I actually got the job I'm not sure how uh, I was able to overcome that incredibly bad judgment on my part um, but lesson number one was never wear press on nails to an interview again uh, <laughs> and lesson two. If anything comes off, really anything, on your body, a button, a a piece of jewelry, you know, an arm or a leg, whatever it is, if it goes flying off across the room, let it go. Just leave it there. All right, story number three. So dress like you already have the job. That's the title of this story, and this is a really quick one, but this goes back to when I worked at a university in Georgia. And I remember doing an interview workshop with a class and they were kind of, I think they were biology majors or chemistry majors or something. And I was explaining to them to kind of dress like you already have the job, like you're, you're, you know, you're already at that level or even a level above. Um, And (laughs) this, this guy in the back of the room raises his hand, serious as he can be, and he says, well, I'm going to be working in a lab, so should I wear a lab coat to the interview? So ever since that I've learned to express that that idea about dress like you already have the job, that I kind of give a caveat with that one. I have to be careful how I express that because it never occurred to me that anyone would think they should wear their lab coat um, to the interview. Okay, story number four. (laughs) <laughs> this goes back to Truman State University and another hiring experience. And this one was for a coordinator, which is a master's level position. So this is someone who has a master's degree. Um, it's it's not, you know, an, uh, necessarily an entry level position. And this woman, um, as it turns out, was older. She was actually coming down from Iowa for the interview and um, I guess I just saw something, I thought I saw something on her resume that just wasn't there because she was not at all the kind of material that we were looking for. And I kind of knew it the moment I went out to greet her in the lobby. <laughs> besides the way she kind of showed up with her with her attire, she had brought her husband along, and she explained that, uh, I, I don't remember if there was something something wrong with her that she couldn't drive, or I can't remember what the deal was, but she has this husband with her, and he comes in, and he's sitting in our lobby area with her, and so that was weird enough, right, and so I start to take her on a tour of our facility, and he comes along, and, which was even weirder. And so then it's time for she and I to go into my office to have the first part of the actual interview, and he follows along. And so I'm at the threshold of the door to my office, and I turn around, and there he is, and I'm like, I, I'm, I'm struggling with how to say what seems so glaringly obvious to me that I think everybody should know this, but I, and I don't remember, to be honest with you, exactly what I said, but essentially I had to tell him to go away and, 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 you know, leave us alone. But it was just so interesting that that, that he thought that that was okay. And that the wife who was applying for a job in a career services office of all places where you're teaching students how to, be in their careers, how to show up for job interviews and all of that, that she wouldn't know that. Uh, So as I said, I had pretty much already made the decision about her because that first impression was so negative, but we still had this interview to go through. So we did a a very short interview in my office. And then I go out, I put her into the the larger room where we're going to have the group interview. And once again, that dang office of mine, they're hiding from me. They saw her they knew about the husband. They were like, no, we, she's not, no, why would we even bother to go in there? And I said, because we have to. We've we've set this time aside, <laughs> we kind of give her this interview. And so I kind of cattle prod everybody in there. But I had this list of questions. So I have a I always have a real structured interview. So I had however many questions and I was asking the same questions of every candidate. And I was willing to go through the motions with this woman, but only to a point. So I was kind of skipping around. I was asking enough questions that it seemed like a real interview, but it wasn't. And during this time, we had a student working in our office who was interested in going into human resources. And so we had included her in this hiring process so she could have that experience. And as part of that, she would come in and sit in on the interviews. And I think she probably had a class that um, had just finished and and it got her into this particular interview a few minutes late. And she knew what the shtick was. You know, we had this list of questions and I was asking all the questions, but everybody was taking notes about their impression of the answers. And I was like going from number one to number seven to number 12 to number 17 kind of thing. (laughs) And I remember the girl came in, the student came in and sat down right to my, directly to my right. And I could see out of the corner of my eye that she was like looking over at me. And looking back at her page and looking over to the right at whoever was sitting there and trying to figure out what was going on. And finally, you know, as she heard this woman answer a question or two, she caught on to what was what was going on. And, um, it was really interesting at the end that, um, her question for me at the very end, like we were walking out and she said, so am I going to get another interview for this job? And if so, I need to learn about this school and the job. So she, she actually told on herself at that point that she had done no prep for this interview, which was obvious. Trust me, I already knew that, but it was really interesting that she wouldn't do the prep work for the first interview. It would only be if we gave her a second interview. So that was a really interesting situation, needless to say. And then the next story I have for you is, what color is that dog? That's what I've titled this story. So I don't want to get into trouble, so I won't mention names. But I have a a family member who has a family member. We'll just call it that. And we are at this family members, family members <laughs> dinner for um, Christmas last year. And um, she was talking about her dogs and she had a dog or two and she was telling me about them. And then she said to me, and, and, and mind you, we're at this formal dining room, dining room table. So we have her and her mom and dad and um, my family. So there's like eight or eight or ten people around the table. And she asks me um, what kind of dog I have. She said, I hear you brought your dog up with you. Um, and I said, yeah, I do. I have it. I have it over at, it was at my daughter's house. And she said, so what kind of dog do you have? And I said, well, I have a black and tan coon hound. And she said, oh really, what color is it? And and what was really interesting about that was I could see all of the eyes around the table just kind of look up from their food and look over at me to see what I was going to do with that question. So I treated it like a real question. And I said, well, she's black and tan. And the the person said, well, oh, I thought they came in different colors. And so again, I treated it like a real question. And I said, well, no, there's the, there's the blue tick coonhound and there's the red bone coonhound. But the black and tan coonhound kind of has to be black and tan so that's become a joke in my family they'll say so what color is piper again um (laughs) so uh that's just a funny i don't know what to make of that story but i think it's hilarious and my final story this is um i have people in my life who are like tell me that story again it's so hilarious so back in 2012 i was still living in northeast missouri And my youngest daughter was graduating from high school the next year. And I wanted to go ahead and sell my house ahead of time because there were going to be so many changes going on with getting her off to college. And I knew that I was going to be moving back to Florida. I didn't want to have a house sale on top of all of that. So I decided to sell my house at the end of 2012, at the end of my daughter's junior year. And it's a small town and there was very limited rental Options And most of them corresponded with the the school calendar year, which, of course, like is August. So I sold the house in June. So I had two and a half months or so where I had no place to live. And I, I kept, you know, running down leads and couldn't just nothing was panning out. And I was sharing this with a friend of mine who happens to live in a little town called Bible Grove, Missouri. And she lives on a farm. And she is, she and her family are, are some of the most dear, wonderful people I've ever known in in my life. They're fabulous. And I'm telling her this story one day, not, not thinking anything of it, just telling her my frustrations. And she said, well, come stay on the farm. And she has a garage apartment. It's up over the garage and it's, you know, really nice setup up there. There's a little kitchenette, full bathroom, you know, bed and all that. And so I ended up for two and a half months living on the farm in Bible Grove, Missouri, and <laughs> I have so many stories about the farm and and I I don't think of myself necessarily as a city girl. I was raised in St. Petersburg. I did live in Tampa for a while, but really I'm kind of much more comfortable in a city of you know 150 or 200 thousand like I am now. So not certainly not a big city girl, but I'd never lived on a farm before. And I didn't know about cows and bulls. And um, there are lots of things I didn't know about. (laughs) And so this um, garage apartment that I'm living in was literally so soundproof that I would walk out the door and see that they were out shooting, like practice target shooting, right outside, and I wouldn't have heard them because it was that soundproof. And I had like a unit air conditioning, which, you know, those things are so loud. But they went away for one weekend. The whole fam left and went away for the weekend. And so for whatever reason, I decided to sleep downstairs that first night that they were gone. So rather than sleeping in the garage apartment, I went into the house proper. And I started out on their bed, but they have a really hard, firm mattress, and it just I couldn't sleep on that. So I went to the sofa, which was just feet away from the front door, and that's where I slept for the night. And so, 6.30 in the morning, I hear, and it woke me up, and I decided that it didn't apply to me, that there was, there was no reason that I needed to pay attention to, to mooing. So I promptly went back to sleep. And a few minutes later, a little bit louder, Mm. and at this point I knew I had to do something I had no idea what to do and I felt like I felt relatively certain that if I opened the front door that everything was going to change just like every my life was going to change if I opened that front door but I knew that's what I had to do and so I open up the front door and what is standing on the porch right next to the front door Between me and their basset hound, Rosie, was a calf. And that was the source of the mooing, this calf. Well, if it had just been the calf, (laughs) I could have probably figured out what to do with that. But every one of their cows were standing in their front yard. Over 100 head of cow were standing in the front yard looking at me at 6.30 in the morning. And I had no flippin' idea what to do so step one, just in case you wonder what you will do, like what are your, you know, what what are your steps if this happens to you? Step number one, panic, freak out. Step number two, you go to the landline and there's this list of phone numbers by the phone, except that this is the country and everybody knows everybody, and none of the phone numbers are correct. They're all wrong. So I'm I'm calling. And of course I've got my cell phone, so I'm calling. The family that's down there are hours away, but I'm you know, I feel like the family needs to know that their cow are standing in the front yards. They don't answer. I call his mother, who lives down a dirt road, not very far from them. I'm um, actually the closest people to them, and she and that's the wrong number. That's that's a disconnected number on there. So then. I call, I think I called somebody else. Then I call his brother, who he farmed with, who lived maybe five minutes away as the crow flies, just across the, the, they had like a thousand acres. And he lived over on the other side of it. And I get his wife, and of course I'm, you know, panicked and worked up and freaked out. And um, I leave a message, which probably made no sense at all and sounded terrifying, but I I didn't get anybody on the phone. So at this point, I, I figure... I don't know where the brother lives, so I can't go to the brother's house. I just know it's over yonder, right? So I get in my car, and I'm about to pull out. They have, like, a little circle driveway in front of the house, and I'm working my way around the circle driveway because, you know, there's cows, and there's cow poop, and there's all this stuff going on out in the front yard, and I'm trying to figure out how to get out. And all I could think of was that the cows were going to go to the main road, which is just a a dirt road that they live on. But once they got on there, it's like, bye. We'll never see them again. And I'm like, not on my watch, not on my watch. And so about the time I get in the car and get it started up, I get a call back from the sister-in-law, the brother's wife. And she's like, who are you? What is happening? Where are you? Why are you calling me? Like, she's totally confused because I'm sure my message made no sense at all. So I explained to her and she's like, oh, okay, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'll, I'll get a hold of Chuck. He's out in the Field or whatever, where he's doing farmy things, and I'll get a hold of him and I'll send him over on the four wheel. So, okay, so now I don't have to go down to Grandma's house, which I found out later would have been a huge mistake anyway, because Grandma would have completely flipped out if she did. She wouldn't have been able to handle this. So, good thing that I didn't get a hold of Grandma. But I'm—I don't want to just stand there and wait for for Chuck the brother to show up. So I'm like, okay pretty sure we didn't learn about how to deal with this in my undergraduate or graduate degree. I definitely have not learned about this in working in higher education. Um, Got nothing, got nothing, got nothing. All right, so what do I do? Well, I decided to go put some shoes on and run the cows back over to the other side of the fence. What had happened was we had a huge drought that summer, and apparently there wasn't enough water to make something about there needed to be a certain amount of water to make the electric fence work and you know one of those cows tested it and it they breached it and then of course they all just follow over so there was like a trotted down place where I could just you know herd them back over there so I go up and down the fence line, herding cattle, running. I'm not on, you know, any kind of a vehicle or a horse or anything cute like you see in the movies. I'm just running between cow patties chasing cows. And there's over a 100 of them. So I finally get everybody back over on the other side of the fence except for the two bulls. And they're just standing there in the yard looking at me like, what are you going to do, lady? So I did what I, which is what comes naturally to me. I don't, I don't know any better. So I just go up and I talk to the bulls. I have a conversation. I'm a coach. I thought if I coached the bulls that I could get some results for the bulls. So I went up to them and I explained, I had to do this twice because one bull's kind of in the front and one bull's in the back. They're not, bulls don't get near each other. So they're all, they're hanging out eating some grass and I'm like, okay, look, I don't have what you want, the ladies over there do, so why don't you go over there with your lady friends, and it worked, you guys, it worked, they both moseyed back over to the other side to be with their women friends, and so about this time, after everything's done except for the fence problem, now Chuck shows up on the four-wheeler. four-wheeler. And initially he's like, I, there's no cow. What is, what's going on? There's, I thought you said there was cows out. And I'm like, oh, don't even start with me. <laughs> like, don't even start with me. Fix the fence. And so he went over and saw where the problem was. And I told him what had happened. But uh, I have to say, um, my time on the farm was one of my favorite uh, of my entire life. And I have to tell you, <laughs> of my time there... Uh, my favorite quote my favorite sentence of all time comes from the farm and it comes from when they were trapping some raccoons that were causing havoc on their porch and we come home we they had trapped a raccoon overnight and it was a sunny morning we went to church we came back and we're pulling into the garage and the father says to the son Eli take off your church clothes before you kill the raccoon so words to live by don't you really think all right i hope this has given you a smile Uh, didn't have a whole lot to do with your career development and i think that's perfectly okay sometimes you just need a little laugh so i hope i was able to provide that for you and as always i want to be your career coach so if you have questions comments for me please Subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Um, I have big plans for this podcast in 2018, so please get on on the ground floor, if you will, and um, support me in this effort. And uh, I hope you enjoyed today. Thanks so much, and take care. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast.